morning we are going to continue in our series from 1 Samuel. And if you recall back in the winter and spring, I don't remember exactly when it started, but we, we started this series and we kind of followed it up through to the point where David had been anointed as king. He hadn't yet taken the throne, but he was anointed as king. And we took a break for the summer and now we're back at it. And this is number three or four in the series. I think it's number three. But we saw recently um, Christine preached on how the whole story of David and Goliath, right? Um, and how David had conquered, trusted the Lord, and conquered the giant. And then last week, Steve uh, talked to us about how Saul, who at this moment in our series is still sitting on the throne, Right, So there's a difference between who's anointed to sit on the throne and who's currently sitting on it. Right, At this point, the Lord has declared that David is anointed to be the king of Israel, and Saul has actually lost his anointing. It's pretty sad. But Saul is still sitting on the throne. And so in the last chapter, uh, we see that Saul really starts to grow fearful of David, jealous of David, starts to see David's anointing taking effect. David's growing in favor. He's growing in power. And this isn't sitting well with Saul. So Saul's actually at this point trying to find ways to get rid of David. Um, and Steve encouraged us. He pointed us to the story of Michal uh, later on where David uh, brings the Ark of the Covenant. And once he has been crowned king, he brings it into the city and he dances with all his might. And his wife, Michal, um, has a rebuke for him in that, in the foolishness and the childlikeness and the all-outness of his praise. And Steve's word to us was simply not to judge her, but to, to view that story as a warning, that that can be something that takes place in all of our hearts, right? That we don't want to lose our childlikeness. And it's actually in the act of worship and prayer, our lives being worship and prayer, that we can keep our lamps burning. And we don't have to become that way. We can remain in that place of all outness for the Lord. So that's where we're at to this point, all right? So this is this story's been unfolding. David is serving Saul in his temple, and Saul is just in a really bad place. And he is fearful of David. He's already, there's this kind of tormenting spirit that comes on Saul sometimes, and it, it, it causes rage, and Saul has already tried to kill David to this point. Um, and so where we pick up, it's going to be in chapter 19. I'm going to just catch you up a little bit, and then we're going to read a little bit of it together. Um, so in the beginning of this chapter, Saul's basically gathers his people, including his son, Jonathan. And if we haven't mentioned it yet, this series, Jonathan is Saul's son, who is a really good friend of David's. They're like brothers. Saul gathers his son, Jonathan. He gathers his servants, and he basically says, says I want you to kill David. So Jonathan brings David out into a safe place, like outside the temple, out in the woods, basically. And he's like, hey, this is what's going on. Um, I don't know if he's really serious, but this is what Saul's saying. And so uh, Jonathan agrees. David's going to stay out in the woods, hiding out. So, and Dave, Jonathan's going to go back to the temple and kind of find a creative way to question his dad to find out, is Saul serious at this point about killing Saul, or is he more just saying it? And what he finds out is that Saul is dead serious. He's been really gripped by a spirit of fear. And at this point, he is serious about killing David. And so, um, actually, you know what? 
That's wrong. I jumped ahead of the story a little bit. At this point, it sounds like Saul isn't as serious at this moment. So he brings David back to the house. So scratch what I just said. <laughs> he goes out to the wilderness. Jonathan goes to find out, is this for real? It's not at this moment. So David comes back to live at the house. But then it doesn't last long. Saul gets gripped by the spirit of fear. He hurls a spear actually at David and tries to kill him. <laughs> so at this point, David leaves. I think that's where we're at in our reading. So yeah. All right. So let's, uh, you can actually stay seated this morning. That's okay. I'm just going to read it. But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in the house with his spear in his hand. While David was playing the lyre, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall, and that night David made good his escape. Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and kill him in the morning, but Michal, David's wife, warned him, If you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. So Michal let David down through a window, and he fled and escaped. Then Michal took an idol and laid it on the bed, covering it with a garment and putting some goat's hair at the head. When Saul sent his men to capture David, Michal said he is ill. Then Saul sent the men back to see David and told them, Bring them up to me in his bed so that I may kill him. But when the men entered, there was an idol in the bed, and at the head was some goat's hair. And Saul said to Michal, Why did you deceive me like this and send my enemy away so that he escaped? I just want to point out here, this is Saul who had related to, to David almost as a son, who had loved him, and now he's calling him his enemy. Michal told him, he said to, you, to me, let me get away, why should I kill you? When David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. Then he stayed uh, with Samuel, I don't know the name of that town, and he stayed there. <laughs> okay, so at this point he left, he went to Samuel, who is the one who had actually anointed David as king a while back, um, because he can't stay with Saul anymore at this point. And then um, one more episode happens in the story that I want to note before I get into some stuff. So at this point, he's staying with Samuel, and Saul is still hunting David after this. And he actually sends his people to go. He finds out that he's staying with Samuel in a certain area. He sends his people to kill him. And each time he sends someone, the Spirit of the Lord actually descends on that person, and they begin to prophesy. And it basically like keeps them from doing anything to David. Like They just start to prophesy, and they're caught up in the Spirit of God, uh, and they can't accomplish their goal. And he sends multiple people, and this keeps happening until Saul himself actually goes to try to kill David. And he, too, gets hit by the Spirit of God and begins to prophesy. It says, all day and all night, laying at Samuel's feet, unclothed. <laughs> so that got intense. Um, so there's, there's a whole lot you can pull out of this passage, but in line of where we're going in this series, I just want to point out a couple things for us this morning. Um, the first in this story is that Satan will always attack where the Lord has anointed. So in our story, and this is only part of it, there's other places where you see Saul wanting to kill David, but in our little chunk of a story, you see multiple occasions where he actually tries to kill David. First, he hurls his spear at David, Right? Then later on, he sends a man to go kill him. Then he sent, that doesn't work. He sends another man. He sends another man. And then he himself even goes to try and kill David. So, on multiple occasions, we see where the place where Saul actually tries to kill David. And what, what he's really trying to do, more than kill him, like he doesn't hate him 
because of who he is. He hates him because of his anointing. He's fearful because he knows David has been anointed to basically take my place, right? So it's the anointing that David has on his life to be king of Israel that Saul is fearful of, that Saul is jealous of, right? That Saul would even go to the point of death to try to keep him from stepping into his anointing. And so we have to see in this story how it points us to how Satan does this basically with Jesus too. But we see that Satan will always try to attack where we have been anointed. He will always try to attack the places that God has anointed. Um, And so basically we see that God intervenes for David in multiple places, right? God intervenes for David in that that spear didn't hit him. He intervenes for David in that as these men come to kill him, the Spirit of God comes on them and they prophesy. Um, And basically, he intervenes in a way that the attack of Satan can't come true, right? Like what he's trying to accomplish does not happen in this story. And we know later on that David does reach his throne. And it was prophesied this way for Jesus too, like Psalm 1610. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. So those who have been anointed by the Lord will reach the fulfillment of their anointing. In David's life, we see it in this case where he ends up sitting on the throne, even though it's, he's still a man and it's temporary. It's not the full picture, right? But him being protected by the Lord in this season so that he can sit on his throne points us to the greater story where Jesus was anointed to sit on the eternal throne, right? And all this, try as he might, Satan tries to pull that anointing away from Jesus and it does not happen, right? Because Jesus is right now seated on that eternal throne. So the one thing is true. <laughs> Satan will always try to attack where the Lord has anointed In this case, he uses Saul, who, by the way, had previously been the Lord's anointed, right? And who was sitting in a position of power. So Satan comes in and tries to use that position of power to pull the anointing away from the Lord's anointed. And we see that later on with Jesus, too. The religious leaders who at one point were anointed by the Lord to be the religious leaders at this point, that anointing isn't really resting on them. And they're in a position of power, So Satan comes in and he's using that position of power to try to pull that anointing away from Jesus, to keep him from reaching that which God has ordained him to do. So Satan will attack, and if he'll do that, then the other thing that this story shows us is that the Lord is always faithful to his anointed. Anywhere Satan tries to attack the anointing, Jesus, the Lord, the Trinity... (laughs) The Godhead will protect that anointing. The Lord's faithfulness to David in this story, guys, points us to the faithfulness of Jesus. And I want to point out, it's not like these are close calls, right? So it might seem like it, oh, that spear gets hurled at David, maybe like a couple inches to the right of his head. Like, that seems really close to death. Like, man, if that had just been a little bit left, David could have been killed, and he would have never been crowned king. Or... These guys that are coming to kill him, they might have gotten really close to where he was before the Spirit of God descends on them. But what I want to point out is this story, I think, could have gone a hundred different ways. Saul could have tried, contrived a hundred different ways to kill David, but none of them were going to work. 
It wasn't like this was a close call and God got him through and eventually like his luck's going to run out. When God anoints somebody for something, that anointing, it will be done. It will be completed. There was no chance that God was going to anoint David as king and then David was not going to end up sitting on that throne. Right? And pointing to Jesus, there was no way that God was going to anoint Jesus to become the King of kings and Lord of lords and sit on that throne for all eternity and cleanse us from our sins by dying on the cross. There was no way he was going to anoint him to do what he did and have it not happen the way it happened. This isn't a thing of close calls, all right? The victory isn't by a small margin. Jesus' faithfulness is way up here. Any attempt that Satan will ever have to attack the anointing that God puts on somebody or something is way down here. It isn't a close margin. This story was always going to end in David on his throne. But by reading this, we get to see what Satan does when he discerns anointing on someone. We get to see what his schemes and attacks look like, and then we get to see the ridiculous faithfulness of God. Right? It's one thing to cause a spear to not, you know, end up in somebody's head. It's another thing. Think about the ridiculousness. A person is armed with some kind of weapon who's trained probably in battle, heading to kill David, and the Spirit of God descends on them, and they stop what they're doing, and they just start prophesying. Like, think about the ridiculousness of this. And then Saul himself, <laughs> this is really crazy. The Saul himself goes... And the Spirit of God descends on Saul. Remember Saul who was anointed by God. That anointing's basically been taken away. He's no longer living in the anointing of God. And yet, as he's being used to go kill David, the Spirit of God descends on him, and he begins to prophesy. And this would be a whole other message, but let's look at the difference where David dances with all his might, and Mikhail's upset because he exposes himself before, the, like, before other people because he's praising the Lord. And now we have Saul laying on the ground, unclothed, prophesying. So it's like, whether I'm in the purposes of God or not, I will be made low. <laughs> but that's a whole other word, I think. But um, the ridiculous faithfulness of God, let it build your faith this morning. That he would go to crazy lengths like that to descend upon an enemy and let them prophesy so that David doesn't killed. Any place that Satan tries to attack anointing, the Lord is faithful to his anointed. He was faithful to David, and he was faithful to Jesus. The story shows us how David reached his throne in spite of Saul. And it points us to that greater story, that Jesus reaches his throne in spite of Satan. And remember, like, Satan would have thought he succeeded when Jesus came. He may have discerned that Jesus was anointed to be king. But what I think he discerned, what he thought he had discerned, was that Jesus was coming to establish his throne on earth then. Right? And so what Satan was dead set on doing and using anyone he could to accomplish, including Judas, including the, the religious leaders, including the empire of Rome, he thought, if I could kill Jesus now, he'll never become king. But what he didn't realize is there was a throne way higher than the one on this earth at that moment, right? He thought Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman empire and Israel would become the next empire and there would be a throne for Jesus there. 
right? It makes only, it only makes sense when he's in the desert with him. He, he says, I'll give all this to you if you'll bow down and worship me. He thinks what Jesus is after is the whole, like a throne on the earth. And he's saying, I'll give it to you now. Satan literally says that. I'll give you all of this if you just bow down and worship me. He's offering him that because he thinks Jesus is anointed to sit on an earthly throne in that moment. And so he kills him. But in killing him, he's actually accomplishing the will of God, right? He's actually providing an opportunity for Jesus to reach his anointing, which is to be seated on a throne for all eternity, which he is right now. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. So Satan thought he had succeeded. He thought he kept Jesus from reaching his earthly throne. The Lord uses foolish things to confound the wise. He used a cross to confound the wise. He uses outrageous prophecy to confound the wise. And Jesus is on his throne now and forevermore. And so I think that you could pull a lot out of this story, but what I want to pull out this morning is to be encouraged that just as the Lord protected David in this episode so that he could reach his throne, we know that the Lord protected Jesus and kept him and was faithful to him so that he could reach his throne. And now I want to talk about what that means for us, guys. So knowing that is the case, why is that good news for us, basically? Well, I think the first thing is <laughs> Jesus is Lord forever. Whatever David provided as king was good, and yet it was temporary. But what Jesus provides as king is so good, and it lasts forevermore. Just like to know that there is a perfect and righteous king seated on a throne who has like, what he was anointed to do, he has become fully written on his thighs, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is coming back. He's riding in on a white horse and he will conquer everything. And he will at that time then establish his throne on the earth. To know that that is true, I don't know if there is a greater encouragement to our souls, guys, no matter what you're going through, no matter what, if you feel like you're in some kind of season of attack or some kind of wilderness, to know that Jesus is Lord forever. And not just know it, but to like, to know it, to be controlled by that reality, to be obsessed with that reality, that Jesus Christ is Lord. The one who lives in me lives forevermore. That there is one who conquers the grave that there is one who is greater than pain and suffering. There is one who is greater than injustice, who will use the foolish things to confound the wise of the world. To know that there is one who is full of grace and mercy on my life. That there is one who is full of truth and that his truth can set us free. That there is one who is, an, it, Jesus has been, it says that the Lord anointed him with the oil of joy. That there is joy forevermore in the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is Lord forever. To know that he loves us. That this king 
who is all of these things, loves us deeply, knows us deeply. Like, this, think about it. This morning we showed up and we worshiped, right? We just sang songs. Jesus was here. He is here. Jesus is present in this place right now. It says we're two or more gathered. I'm in the midst because he wants to be with us because he loves us. He loves our worship. Jesus is present with us. That King of Kings who is seated on his throne, who has conquered death, who has accomplished that which he was anointed to accomplish. He is present with us this morning. We get to encounter his glory. We get to see and taste his goodness. And to know that nothing and no one can take him from us. Nothing in all the earth, neither heights nor depths, nor angels nor demons, nor fears about today or worries about tomorrow, no famine or nakedness, no disease. Not, it says not even death himself can take us from the love of God. To know that his love is given to us and nothing and no one can take it. Guys, that means that Satan can't steal the love of God from us. Right? The story shows that he tries to take whatever he can, right? He's trying to take the anointing from David. Later on, he's trying to keep it for Jesus from walking to his anointing. And he'll try to make us think maybe that he can take it, but Satan cannot do it. There is nothing in all the heavens or the earth that can separate us from the love of this Jesus who is Lord. Nothing. And then the second thing I want to just encourage us with this morning. Why is this good news for us? Because we also are his anointed, guys. Through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, we are now all. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are his anointed. And if we see how radically Jesus protected his anointed in David, and how radically he protected his anointed in Jesus... He will radically protect your anointing as a son, as a daughter, as a priest, one who is seated in the heavenly realms, one who has been forgiven and cleansed and washed of your sin, one who is being sanctified into holiness and righteousness. He will protect your anointing. His radical, radical faithfulness is for you too. And there ain't nothing that the grave, that Satan, that fear, that shame, there's nothing that any of it can do to take that from us. So every benefit that his anointing provided those guys, it's weird that I said those guys meaning Jesus, but everything that his anointing meant for them, for Jesus, it means for us today too. So know who you are, guys. You are an anointed one. You are a priest. Like what Kiara said this morning, all heaven is watching us to know how to love God more. That might seem ridiculous because they're in heaven, but it's not. You hold an anointing that even the heavenly host doesn't hold. You are a priest of the living God, and the priest's primary holistic work is to minister to the heart of God. So when you worship the Lord, all of heaven is watching in wonder and awe. Because you're the priest, right? 
the people back in Israel, they would watch the priest and they would follow that. They're watching your worship because we are priests of the living God. And this comes through his anointing. You are his anointed and he will keep you. So whatever you're walking through, whatever wilderness you're in, he'll keep you. And I would say too, I think we believe wherever Satan attacks, the Lord deepens. So he kills Jesus, his death becomes our eternal life. And in David's story, he tries to kill him um, and actually drives him out of the temple into the wilderness, right? Like where he's just hiding out, kind of trying not to be killed by Saul. And that wilderness place is actually a place of deepening for him too. Psalm 57. Sometimes at the top of Psalms, they tell you when the writers believe they were written. They won't really put that unless there's a pretty good consensus on that, like it lines up document-wise. Um, and there's a belief that this came from the time where David was actually out in the wilderness. It loaded King James Version. Nothing wrong with that, but I wanted to make more sense, so I changed it. Um, this is a time where David is in the wilderness, kind of on the run from Saul. So this is something that he writes in the middle of that, Psalm 57. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me. Have you ever been in that place? You know he's going through it if he starts his writing with have mercy on me, God, have mercy on me. Right, so David is in a deep place of struggle, a deep wilderness, probably a place of confusion, a place of definitely a place of fear. Have mercy on me, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until this disaster has passed. I cry out to the God most high who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. He's speaking literally here, right? Those who hotly pursue me, God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. In the midst of lions, I'm forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. So he's really going through it, and he's just pouring out his heart to the Lord in this place. But you can see the depth of the season that David's in, right? Like, this is not a joke. What he's going through is heavy, and it's deep. And he says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Though they spread a net for my feet, I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake my soul. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted above the heavens and let your glory be over all the earth. This was penned in that kind of season. In that season of deep heaviness and suffering and pain. These are things that we pull out all the time in our worship songs or we might read as a call to worship or we might just pull up on our phone when we need a, an encouragement for a moment. These were words that were penned in the wilderness. And so my encouragement to you this morning is if you feel like you're in that wilderness, remember who you are. You can hear it in David's words. He had to remember who he was. Wait, I am the anointed of the Lord and his faithfulness is above the heavens. His glory is over all the earth. 
And so the, it's, it's opportunity, actually. The wilderness is actually opportunity for our souls to be deepened. Let it grow your prayer life, just like David. Choose gratitude, just like David. Look, to say I praise you, God, when stuff really stinks isn't fake. There's a depth that's required to be able to say that. Let him deepen our souls so that we can learn to choose gratitude and praise in that hard season. Lean into the spaces where it makes you feel weak and vulnerable. Remember, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. So wherever Satan might be attacking, the Lord wants to deepen your soul in this season. So remember who you are and let him do it and lean into those spaces. And remember, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Just remember that that is what all things are coming to. The ultimate anointing rests on Jesus, and he is already and will be seated on the throne of all thrones. He is the king of all kings. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. His anointing rests upon us as well. He will bring us through, guys, and not even the grave can keep you from stepping into that anointing. Right? Not even sickness. If not even death can keep us from it, nothing can.